Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. We're taking a small holiday break and we'll be back soon with new episodes. In the meantime, here's a classic interview to keep up the learning as we make our New Year's resolutions. Stocks for beginners. And the reality is, we can tell you why we like a stock. We can tell you what risk we think it is. We can tell you what we think the timetable is going to be. We can't tell you how to feel when you go to sleep at night. Hi, and welcome back to Stocks for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. Do you have principles that you live by? Do you have principles that you invest by? If you change your principles at a moment's notice, are they still principles? You may have already guessed that today we'll be talking about principles. My guest is Daniel B. Klein. Hello, Dan. How's it going? Oh, hey there, Phil. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. Now, Dan has had a history with The Motley Fool and has um, spent a lot of time talking about retail, consumer goods and technology and entertainment and many other things and is now working with Seven Investing. So let's talk about Seven Investing and your podcast appearances and everything that you do. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a non-traditional investing background. Since I was 19 and I'm 47, I've been collecting a check as a journalist. I had some detours. I I ran rock band summer camps for a year. I ran a giant toy store for two years. I worked in my family's ladder and scaffolding business running a factory. So I often joke that I'm the only person who's uh, hosting a show in the investing space that can talk about something like buying commodities, who bought commodities, or who dealt with shipping from China, which is right now a giant issue, uh, is supply chain and all of that. I've actually lived these things for a big chunk of my life, but I was always, during that, a journalist, even when I worked in other fields. And I kind of lucked out, uh, maybe about a decade ago, a job came open at Microsoft. And I interviewed for the job, and I I said, okay, uh, it seems like I have this. What is it? And my new boss said, I can't tell you. Uh, and it turned out I was the launch editor for the uh, what was then called the Windows 8 Finance app. Uh, I also did some some news and sports in the weekend. And basically, I was the guy picking the story. So it was like a, a year-long immersion into financial news. I looked at every financial news story, basically, that came across like hundreds of providers every day. And I had a boss who was super into the stock market. So from there, I ended up at the Boston Globe. And I, I spent about a year running the business desk for Boston.com and writing for the paper. And again, just being a a voice who came at things differently. I didn't approach things the same way sort of other, you know, longtime stock market guys did. And then I ended up at Motley Fool on a project where their goal was to write about more than the stock market, to write about business. And then in October, joined the very impressive team at Seven Investing, many of which have a, a similar backstory to me. But honestly, we wanted to do an investing service that was streamlined and simplified. Here's what we do. Our members get our seven best picks. Each of us makes one stock pick a month. And then we give you a really detailed write-up. We record a 20 to 45-minute video where everyone on the team can push back. And we explain to you sort of how to use it, how it would work. And it's really important that you know we're not traders. We're not doing anything quickly. Every stock we buy, we're recommending that you buy and hold for at least three to five years. But honestly, 
forever. And when I say forever, that doesn't literally mean forever. It means until the event happens that you need the money. So let's pretend a portion of your portfolio is for putting your kid through college. It's totally okay to then invest, you know, to sell some investments when it's time to put your kid through college. Um, but we do not sell a lot. We, we never have. But in theory, if there was a reason to sell, we would issue our members uh, a sell alert. And that's really the trick to investing, isn't it? It's, it's um, holding for the long term. I mean, this is something we always go on about with this podcast, that um, you want to l- hold on for the long term, let compounding and let time do its, do its thing. And you're not going to be right on every pick, are you? You don't have to be. And the reality is the individual investor has only one advantage, and that advantage is time. So look, there are members of the seven investing team that make riskier picks than I do. I, I've had one pick that I would consider high risk, maybe two, if you uh, just because one of them is a really solid company that had struggles because of the pandemic, that if something were to happen in the next year or two, I I hate to say similar, but like something that shut them down for a while, that company could struggle, but it's probably not risky. But some of our people are only picking, you know, high risk, you know, biotech stocks and, you know, things that they're truly experts in. So I know how I use our picks is obviously I'm invested in the companies I'm picking, but our biotech person, Max Chatsko, who is someone I've known for a lot of years, I make a little purchase of whatever he recommends every month. It might might be as little as a couple hundred dollars, but I want exposure to things that could go up thousands of percents where you know my expertise is, is retail and I'll call it like pop culture tech and entertainment. So if I pick a really good retailer, you know, it might go up five times in five years. You know, it might be a five bagger, maybe even a little more, but it's not going to go up a hundred times. Um, so I'm definitely more conservative. We certainly love to educate members like you do. We want people to understand why we like a stock. We also want people to understand that sometimes stocks move for dumb reasons and we don't you know, really worry about that. I actually wrote a piece today about one of my recommendations where the inflection point for that company is not going to start happening until later in the summer, yet the stock moves up and down 20% based on nonsense. And really, like, don't congratulate me when it's up 50% because the thing hasn't happened yet that's going to decide success or failure. Yeah, the market doesn't have any uh, any idea of what you're doing or what anyone's saying or what anyone's talking about or what's going on in, in their heads. And I suppose also in your videos, and I've watched a couple of them, it's great to have pushback against your own ideas. Like if you come up with an idea, you really want someone to be able to argue against it as well, just to make sure that you really do have the conviction and are on the right track. Yeah, absolutely. And you also sometimes want to hear what maybe the conventional wisdom is. So you might pick a stock and you know and they'll say oh like are you picking that cuz it's a recovery play and you're like no my my logic was i would have owned it before the pandemic and now that we're out of the pandemic here are good reasons why it's going to take back off and it's going to take time and so we all push back uh, i think what's also really important you know and this is true of where i work now and largely of my former employer as well we all like each other <laughs> so it's beneficial that when we're throwing out our picks we might on a Saturday night at 11 o'clock at night with you know the, the new episode of Loki on in the background be pushing back at each other or be asking questions or be celebrating you know some piece of news that happened. And I actually think that's really important. So much of financial television is contentious. And I'm fine with having a spirited debate and learning and pushing each other. But I actually think it's more fun when the people debating – actually inherently like and respect each other. And I'm not entirely sure what the benefit of of everything being so adversarial is. 
So let's get on to some of these principles. So the first principle on uh, seven investing, and appropriately there are seven principles, which we'll quickly go through. We We won't have time to really go too much in depth. However, no one cares about your money like you do. This is principle number one. (laughs) It seems obvious, doesn't it? Well, it's personal. And the reality is we can tell you why we like a stock. We can tell you what risk we think it is. We can tell you what we think the timetable is going to be. We can't tell you how to feel when you go to sleep at night. So people ask us questions like, uh, if a stock in your portfolio is up 500% and it becomes 25% of your total holdings, should you sell it? And that's not a hard and fast answer. I have friends that are perfectly comfortable having a a huge winner they believe in be more than 50% of their portfolio. I have friends that if something goes over 15%, they want to spread the risk out. Neither one of those approaches is wrong. And some of it, look, I'm 47 years old. My retirement is, not that I'll ever retire given what I do for a living, but my someday ability to maybe not work at this level is way closer than my colleague who's 30. So his tolerance for risk in mine might be different. I have a college-age child uh, who who probably won't go to college right away, but I will need to free up money to pay for that at some point. So everything is very personal, and we can give you broad advice, but we can't give you personal advice. We also are not legally allowed to give you personal advice, and that's, that's important as well. That's right. We're not recommending anything here. It's all for entertainment and illustrative purposes only. So the next principle is and this is one that I've, I keep on banging on with people, and especially friends. You know what you know what it's like. People who are not in the finance industry, when you're at the barbecue with them and talking about, they always want to know a pick, don't they? And this comes down to you're looking at companies, not tickers. These are real, living, breathing companies that you're investing in. And they're working on your behalf. I think this might be one of the biggest problems right now with the so-called retail investing trend. Identifying a ticker that's going to go up in the short term or go down. Look, there were a lot of companies I cover that I 100% could have told you what they were going to do after earnings. I mean, for years, and I wrote an article about this, for I think it was six years, Sears would report. And I think they made money in one of those quarters. And that was only because they sold off the diehard battery brand. Every time they would report, their CEO, who is a flimflam man, his name is Eddie Lambert. He, he's, he's pretty famous. So he's probably going to have me killed now. Uh, but that being said, he would say, well, yeah, I know we closed 100 stores. We lost $6 billion. We've lost money for four years in a row. But women's socks trended up in the last three weeks of the quarter. And somehow the stock would go up. And that bounce got smaller every time. But I could have pretty confidently told you to trade that bounce. That's exhausting. I don't want to do that. Why would I spend my time focusing on, you know, look, did I ever believe Sears could recover? No. Was there a period where I truly believed JCPenney had good management and had a chance to recover? Yes. I was wrong. I didn't own it, but on the scorecard, on the the tracking game for writers at where I used to work, that was the one where I was by far the most wrong. That being said, I didn't own it. I didn't tell anyone to buy it. I just said publicly on television shows or, or, or podcasts, hey, look, here's why I think this might work. And I was wrong. They were too far gone. It didn't matter that they were bringing in appliances and doing things that seem like good moves. They also made a lot of moves that seem like good moves, like bringing in toys where their execution was terrible. They basically brought in toys and threw them in a pile on the floor. So not great execution there. But yeah, I want to know the management of the company. I want to know how customers connect with it. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Principle number three. Don't stress yourself out. <laughs> I love this one. <laughs> Yeah, it, look, owning individual stocks isn't for everyone. Uh, so if you're someone who would be more comfortable, you know, just having index funds or or just having even, you know, you're not going to do very well on more passive investments than that. But you really should go to the comfort level. So if your comfort level is you want to own dividend-paying blue chips that are likely to be in good position for the next 20 years, that's okay. Nobody is telling you you have to own the hot new software as a service company or the company that's trying to reinvent insurance or whatever it is. And I'm pretty skeptical of a lot of those companies. And I'm also pretty skeptical of a lot of the advice you get on those companies. And I hate to pick on this company, but I've watched really smart analysts talk about Fubo, which is a streaming cable company here that markets itself as having a lot of sports that fundamentally don't understand the margins in that industry. And that the fact that they have 600,000 customers and probably would need 30 million to be viable, which is actually impossible for them to achieve, you can't just say, hey, sports betting, and then bet on it. But people don't see that because the stock goes up because most people don't get how streaming and cable work. They simply don't understand the fundamentals. And you see it in a lot of lazy ways too. And I've written about this many times recently. Same store sales. So you take a store like Dollar General, which their metric isn't same store sales. It's new store openings and how quickly they get to max sales. No one who works at CNBC understands that. And I don't want to pick on them. They're just the most prominent. CNN, wherever else covers business, they don't get that the metrics aren't the same. And this year, you've had a real wave of really great retail companies post incredible numbers. And then an analyst, which is basically someone whose job it is to say shocking things to get on TV, an analyst comes out and says, well, those were great numbers, but are they going to do that next year? Well, no, they're not. But are they going to have incredible COVID mitigation expenses next year? So next year, you put an asterisk next to same store sales and you look at profit margins and, and customers and average revenue per user. I mean, a favorite of mine, Ollie's Bargain Outlet, they sold a lot more soup and rice than they do in a normal year's year. Those aren't high margin items. If they go back to selling a lot more like almost expired cake pods, like their cake cups, they're probably going to do better, even if overall they're not up 40% or whatever the number is. There's just a lot of bad reporting out there. And uh, this is an important feature of not stressing yourself out. And you, you referred to index funds before. And you really got to understand that if you're going to invest in individual stocks and companies, it's not something that you can learn overnight. And you, you've just pointed out a whole range of things that, you know, you, you've got an instinct for from years of, of doing this sort of thing. And it's like learning a language. You're not going to learn a new language in five minutes. It's going to take years to do that. So you really do have to understand who you are as an investor and whether you want to take that time and worry about it or 
out of the index funds. So I tell people to take great companies and look at a 10-year chart. If you look at, say, Microsoft, the 10-year chart, there are multiple points where it's down 20%. There's a couple points where it's down 50%. If you look at Chipotle, there's an obvious time where they were down significantly during their absolutely ridiculously minor scandal that because they held themselves up as being so good, it basically wrecked them, even though I I say it, but 147 people got an upset stomach. This wasn't like people dropping dead in their burrito, but their stock got cut in half. Now, as someone who follows that company, did I believe the customers were going to come back? Did I actually think their response was unbelievably dead on? They closed all their stores for half a day. They changed procedures. They hired experts. They did everything you could do. So as a long-term investor, That's a buying opportunity to me. I'm not overly concerned. And almost every really successful long-term company, if you take that 10-year chart, you're going to see a couple of really weird anomalies. Okay, Dan, let's have a look at number four. Time is on your side. So we'll refer to the Rolling Stones, but we're obviously a couple of old rock and roll guys. So time is definitely on your side as an investor. I saw the Rolling Stones at the the Uh, arena. Don't tell tell me I've never seen the one band I've never seen that I'd love to see. (laughs) I had terrible seats and the whole time I'm like, oh, they're not that great. And then we went to get a beer and I'm like, oh my God, they're awesome. I just have terrible (laughs) seats. No, sadly, I lost a Rolling Stones concert. I was supposed to go uh, when they were playing in Washington, right before the canceled due to the pandemic. Uh, My brother had actually arranged that show. So you also referred to Bandcamp, and I love the episode of The Simpsons where the Rolling Stones appeared and ran that. That is a wonderful one. Oh, yeah. And Keith Richards saying, Homer, the the lawns aren't going to mow themselves. (laughs) The company I worked for actually did that kind of adult rock band camp. I actually worked on on camps where kids worked with musicians to write original songs. It was really rewarding. But when we go to Time is on Your Side, it's just remember that let's say you buy any of our picks – that we're not telling you it's going to double in a quarter. Now, that's happened a lot in the pandemic where, look, if you were a Disney fan and you believed, oh my God, Disney Plus is going to have great shows, who that has kids isn't going to get Disney Plus? Who that likes Star Wars isn't going to get Disney Plus? Marvel, Pixar, whatever it is. You did not believe we were going to have a global pandemic and instead of being at 30 million subscribers at the end of you know 2023, they're going to be at 150 million or whatever the number is. Nobody saw that coming. So sometimes your story is going to play out differently than expected and that can happen in the other direction too. You know, We've seen with some of the, uh, the public and not public spacefaring companies that they're tests have been pushed back. Their flights haven't always gone. Are they going to get to the end destination? Probably. Like, you know, so if you believe in those companies, it really is about letting the story play out, which is tough when you work at a business that sells stock picks. And of course, we track our performance. We have a scorecard that shows everything in real time. And it's awfully difficult when the market's having like a rough stretch and we're only a year old to be like, yeah, but we'll be great in five years. Like so, and of course, we are beating the market in all sorts of ways. But there was a point where we actually put out an email to members that more or less said, we're good, but we're, but we're not that good. Because some of the tech stocks were so heated up that it actually you know, made it look like we were geniuses. And we're smart. We're not geniuses. <laughs> so now, number five. Now, this one I don't quite understand. Valuation matters. Please explain. Yeah. So a lot of people look at some of these uh, you know, high-flying biotech or, or technology stocks 
and they're just willing to pay any multiple. And there are fields where you can say that might be true. We've seen multiples go up. You know, $1 trillion seemed unattainable when ExxonMobil was the largest market cap company. Now, if I said Apple and Microsoft and maybe Google and maybe I don't know, Tesla, get to $3 billion or $4 billion, that's not so laughable. So what you consider an acceptable valuation can be different, but there were definitely biotech stocks. And I hate to pick on that area, but there were companies that our people loved, but they had no revenue. They had pipelines that were encouraging, but that were three to five years away that went from when we first looked at them and liked them being worth a few hundred million dollars to being worth 15, 20 billion dollars. Then you have to go, okay, if three of these five drugs work, what's the sales? What's the market? What's the ability to, to capture share? And people tend to ignore those numbers. Like I don't worry about valuation a lot at those big giant companies I just talked about that have so much ability to just drive business. But you have to worry about them at, at some of your smaller companies, especially in this day and age. I mean, I'll use the ridiculous example of GameStop. I have colleagues and friends that before all this happened, looked at GameStop's balance sheets, which were relatively good, looked at the fact that all their leases were short term, looked at the, the guy from Chewy being on their board, he's now their chairman, and said, wow, I think this company could change its business model and become successful, and it might be worth three times more than what it's worth now. None of them said, oh, this could be worth 50 times more than it's worth now. So one, if you were lucky enough to own that stock and it goes up 30 times, just sell. You've seen your story play out. It's a rare time. But the people who are buying that, yes, they're artificially inflating it. At some point, almost every business returns to its actual metrics. Now, those metrics could change. I think some of the... Uh, you know, the sales multiples we're seeing now are were unheard of 10, 15 years ago, maybe even five years ago. But we do spend time. Every one of our picks has a section on valuation. And it's much less important when I'm picking a retail stock or but if I'm picking a, a cannabis-related stock or something, you know, they will make the statement, well, it'll eventually be legal in the US and then it can go to here. It's like, well. That's not it's all about the story, Canada. isn't it? That's the story that they're telling themselves. Yeah, and, and it's a false story. Oh, we hear so many stories, and um, that's one of the things I always um, talk about. And beginners come up with this story in their head, and they think, oh, that makes sense. And there are so many factors to mitigate against it, that, that particular story. Anyway, let's go, get on to one-of-a-kind companies. How do you find one-of-a-kind companies? What's your thoughts about finding one-of-a-kind companies? So one I think we all companies? have different definitions of it. Because a one-of-a-kind company can obviously be in a space that other people operate in. I'll just pick one that everyone is aware of. You know, you look at Apple and you see them doing things like, you know what? We're not going to lower the price of our products. You know, they've found some ways to have some more entry-level iPhones. The entry-level iPhones are still pretty damn expensive. So, you know, okay, is this company doing something new? Yeah, absolutely. They're innovating. They're designed beautifully. They're changing people's lives in meaningful ways. Well, you can see that in all other areas. I'll give an example. Uh, the insurance company, Lemonade. They took something that's terrible. When you're going to get life insurance, you either have to go to a doctor's office or they send someone to you. They tell you all the things that are wrong with you. It's like when you go to baseball arbitration and your own team has to be like, yeah, well, he's not that good as a pitcher. It's terrible. 
Lemonade uses algorithms and you go online and you tell it some health facts about yourself. It uses some public data to verify that. So they ask you if you've used heroin in the past year and in theory, they're checking arrest records, which would be my guess. you know. And then they come back and not only do they just make you an offer for life insurance, they actually make you an offer that I found to be cheaper than other places. So it's like looking for companies that solve pain points. There's you know another giant example it's going to sound ridiculous, but Domino's Pizza. Domino's has figured out that it's not actually the pizza that matters. It's the execution. How fast can that pizza get there? I know. It's and a, how reliable. It's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. And price. Yeah. You know, I, my, my colleague, Matt Cochran, has four children. And he often talks about how Domino's is the easiest, cheapest option that everyone in the family is happy about where he can feed them for like, you know, $30. You know, that's a factor. So as long as it's good enough, I mean, I could argue that there's no price. I don't care if Papa John's was 99 cents a pizza. I'm not eating there. Same is true of Little Caesars. Domino's, if you show up and your buddy at the football game got Domino's, you're like, oh, I I wish he got better pizza, but all right, whatever. It's fine. (laughs) You know, so there's a lot of unique companies. There's a lot of really interesting stuff out there. There's a lot of really great management. There's also a lot of management that's brilliant that you don't trust. I mean, I'm not a big fan of Tesla, though most of my colleagues are. And it's simply because Elon Musk doesn't seem like a guy I'd want to work for. And that's that's not always a factor because I, I don't think I want to work some other places that I admire, but I really feel like I don't want to work for that guy. So, you know, it can be tricky and, and there's no one set definition here. So we're on to our last principle now. <laughs> We've finally got some principles. Uh, develop a thesis. How do you do this without telling yourself, telling yourself a tall story? Yeah. So, so, so what we do is, you know, when we write our picks and make our presentation, is we kind of start with that. What's our key takeaway? What is the the core reason? What is the story and the roadmap going to look like? And what are the touchstones? What are the points along the way You know that you're going to go, okay, if this happens, then the company is succeeding. And one of the things that, that's big with me on any company I pick is if you watch a couple of earnings calls, or usually in most cases, read the transcript. But if you, if you watch or, or do that, if the CEO says in Q1, Hey, we see this problem in our, I don't know, in our delivery where we're not hitting two-day delivery and customers are all upset. It's costing us some sales. We're going to fix that. If he doesn't mention it in Q2, that is a red flag for me. Even if it's not fixed, I want to know where did you move forward? You know, a lot of companies that had new initiatives or were opening new things had to pivot away from those during the pandemic. So I'm totally fine with a company saying, oh, hey, yeah, I know we said we were going to have more uh, beverage limited time offers, but during the pandemic, we focused on simplicity of menu delivery and our ability to execute for as many people as we could. We didn't think it was that important to have 16 new flavors or whatever it is. I want transparency. And I want a company to tell me where it's going to be going and then update me as they get there. And and for that story to be consistent and to follow logically one step after another, is that the, how it works? Or if it changes to explain? If it changes, why? I want the explanation. So, you know, I, Microsoft is my biggest holding because I worked there and I like a lot of people there. And when I worked there, it was obviously a pretty dark time. Windows 8 was not a, a shining moment for Microsoft. Almost as good as Vista. (laughs) Yeah. When they changed CEOs, and Windows 8 was actually visionary. It was actually ahead of its time. The problem is they should have made all the cool stuff in Windows 8 there, but not the lead. Like there were really easy ways to have done this better. And by the way, 
all of us editors knew that. Like, like nobody in the tech team was asking us, but I was one of the first people on earth to play with Windows 8. And I'm like, yeah, where's the start button? Like, that's a problem. But that being said, when Satya Nadella took over and you saw that he was going to continue to unsilo the company, meaning you could use Microsoft products on Macs, on Android, on, on anywhere, that he was going to move to a subscription model. And eventually now I own my Xbox on a subscription. Like, so this is, is something they've really embraced. I went, okay, I like that company. My thesis has changed because the old model was based on Windows licensing and things that are still important, but you know, the story has changed and I still like it. That to me could be a sell point if a CEO changes and the new CEO comes in. But even then, I usually wait six months. I can't talk about this company, but there is a company I, I, I really like that changed CEOs a few years ago and I did not like what the new CEO had to say. And it actually turned out to be pretty brilliant. He didn't know a pandemic was coming, but the things he did improved the business in the short term and it gave them a ton of flexibility. I mean, not the company I'm talking about, McDonald's. <laughs> McDonald's spent a lot of money on delivery. And I did a lot of shows saying, who wants delivered McDonald's? McDonald's has a shelf life of like 90 seconds. The reality is a ton of people want delivered McDonald's and don't seem to have the same standard for food that I do. And that proved to be really great. That's very similar to the other company in the food space that I'm thinking about. They didn't have the leadership change. I mean, they did, but not with the change in focus. So you got to know why you own something. You don't own it because the person you know that cuts your hair told you to buy it. You don't even own it because I told you to buy it. Now, if you say, I trust Dan, I know he's putting in weeks of research, sometimes months of research on these companies. And if he tells me to buy something, I'm probably going to buy it. And his thesis is my thesis. That's fine. I buy picks from other members of the team and I don't do any research on them because I know they know that space. So if they're excited about it, I am probably going to buy stuff. But I look at my portfolio two ways. I have the stocks that I've picked that I track, that I write updates on if I've picked them for seven investing, that I really keep an eye on. And then I have a whole basket of stuff that I just wait until my colleagues write something or tell me what's going on. And, and some of those are down absolutely significantly and some of them are up stunning amounts. And I don't care. I, I just wait. If they tell me something's wrong or something's right, then I go with it. But yeah, this is not gambling. This isn't why did I bet on eight in roulette because my brother's birthday is on the eighth. Like this is identifying good companies, identifying companies with smart plans and roadmaps and, and an ability to, to foresee the future. So Dan, tell us about Seven Investing and yourself and how people can get in touch, find you and um, bathe in your words of wisdom. When we launched, it was just a handful of advisors. There wasn't a lot of member content other than the picks. Now, there's seven world-class advisors. There's multiple PhDs on the team. There's multiple people who've run multi-million dollar services at their previous jobs. We also do a members-only call every month where they can ask us about our picks. We do a new members call. Where we sort of walk people through the service. We're doing some real deep dive pieces, a ton of members-only content. So what we're doing now from what we're doing day one has, I don't know, like quintupled or like some amount like that. Uh, so if you'd like to check out our service, it is seveninvesting.com. We are at seveninvesting on Twitter. A little secret, all of our members get a referral code. If they tweet out their referral code and you sign up through that, they get a free month. You also get a deal on your first month. We often share those from the at seveninvesting Twitter. If you'd like to follow me, I am at worst ideas seven 
on Twitter. Worst ideas is from my book, Worst Ideas Ever. It is not a comment on my stock picking thing. It's a funny <laughs> book, but they don't send me any money when they sell any, so so there's no reason to buy it. I am a a fun follow. If you only want serious stock market stuff, don't follow me. I will mix in the personal. I might throw out some music stuff. Yes, there's a lot of investing stuff, but the the post I actually made that got I think it was like over two hundred thousand engagements was. I posted a picture of the very sad pizza my son got from Pizza Hut. You know, I think I, I think I titled it something like, you know, I'm pretty sure anyone can out Pizza the Hut. So all the wit, all the stuff I put in, all the work I put researching in, a picture of an old pizza did the best. But yeah, I love talking to people. I love taking an upbeat approach to investing. Dan Klein, thanks very much for chatting today. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend, especially if it's someone who needs to start thinking about investing for their future. You'll be helping them and helping me to keep this show on the road. Stocks for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Stocks for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. And thank you for listening to my podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.